everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg. I'm a little froggy this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me there. Um, and uh, we got we got a couple of big ones to talk about today. A couple of controversial stories we're going to be talking about today. I, of course, have my game of the week picked out. I have my pickup pile of the week, including I went uh, game hunting last Thursday. So I'll have a little bit of a story about how that all went. And... Uh, and then we're going to get out of here. And then you guys are going to have a great Thanksgiving. We're going to come back next week. Probably. It should be fine. You know, the Black Friday weekend, I get off Sunday. So it's not like I'm working every day from Thanksgiving until the podcast next week. So we should be we should be on board for uh, we should be on board for uh, another podcast next week. I don't think we need to skip it. Anything like that. Um, but it has been. It's been kind of it's been kind of wild. Uh, we, you know. When new games come out this time of year, oftentimes a used game store like mine that doesn't really deal in too many new games, we don't see a ton of, we don't we don't have a ton of uh, sales, actually. It's kind of a little slower time for us in September, October, because so many people are spending their money on the new games that release. So, you know, we've been kind of easing into, and we're getting prepared for our Black Friday sales, and then yesterday the whole weekend really friday saturday sunday were crazy busy which is so funny since we're less than a week away from our one of our biggest sales of the year and then we just got slammed with trades yesterday which is awesome don't get me wrong trades awesome always want trades never ever complain about having trades uh well you can complain about it if you work at a store like gamestop because you have to do a whole bunch of extra work and you don't make any extra money off that but as a business owner of a used game store. I very much want trades to come in. That was actually one of the hardest things to get over when I had my own store was I was used to saying, ugh, trades, man, this sucks because it just meant extra work for you. And, and you know, it takes a long time to process. It's You have to clean them up, get them ready to go out. As opposed to now in my business, it's like, well, I need those used games, you know, to make a living and to make profit as a business. So now when you see it come in, you have to you have to turn off that. Even after eight years, it's difficult. I have to turn off that, uh, like the switch. I have to turn off the, the I hate trades switch and then be like, ooh, trades are exciting. Even Dom yesterday, like we had a big box come in and Dom was like, oh, man. And I'm like, dude, this is good stuff. Like you have to remember this is good. Because even he has to, even he's trying to shake off that, that old feeling. So, uh, but but yeah, the store. So the store's been good. We uh, we did not do well on the Madden matchup last week. Madden predicted a Packers win in overtime, thirty to twenty four. If you watch the game on Sunday, you know that the Packers got obliterated. I think it was thirty seven to eight. I don't know. I had been drinking, and that drinking got heavier as the game went on. <laughs> but um, yeah. That was a rough one. As a Packers fan, it's really hard to watch that. And San Fran has a really good defense. So a good defense's job is to make a good offense look bad. And that's what they did. Although, questionably, do the Packers have a good offense? I mean, they have the tools to be a good offense, and they've certainly had their flares. But, you know, people remind, people think of these certain games where they had, uh, you know, these incredible amount of scores. And you're like, well, but look at the defenses they were playing, you know, so that's a true test. Def uh, defense wins championships. I think that'll always be true. And, you know, one of the most exciting people to watch in football right now is Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are just crazy good on offense. And it'll be interesting to see how they do when they go up against a lights out defense when they're going against San Fran. So it'll be very interesting to see that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, the Patriots defense is good too. 
Um, so, uh, with that all being said, the two stories we're going to talk about today. One, we're going to talk about the video game awards, the nominees. I'm not a big fan of the game awards uh, in general. I think it's really placating the gamer culture that is so poorly represented. Like, it's kind of like this dumbed down commercial for the av- below average consumer, I feel. You know, it's you know, just a big commercial, but we're going to talk about the nominees for that because there's, and then we're going to talk about a little controversy about that. Since one of the nominees for game of the year is death stranding and Jeff Keeley himself, host of the game awards, the person who puts it all together, not just the host, but he puts it all together. Host of the game awards. He is in the game of death stranding. (laughs) So conflict of interest. Interesting. So we're going to talk about that. And then you're going to hear me get all fired up again because I swear as soon as I move on from one of these stupid stories, I get pulled right back into it. So uh, Pawn Stars, if you don't know, that's a TV show, right, where people bring in stuff, wild, crazy stuff, and this pawn shop buys them. It's, I don't want to say it's fake, but it's scripted. Like when you see the interactions of them standing there and a customer walks in, that's planned. That's not like they're just standing there waiting for people to bring in rare stuff and the cameras just happen to be there. It's not how it works. And really that wouldn't work. You know, you can't really have a show like that because you'd have the cameras recording, you know, 20 hours a day of nothing so that you'd have four hours of maybe something good. So the Pawn Stars put up a clip from one of their episodes just a few days ago of someone bringing in a super rare expensive copy of Mario Brothers that's sealed and spoiler graded by WADA <laughs> so we're gonna talk about that we're actually gonna listen to the clip on the podcast obviously you'll watch it if you're watching on YouTube but uh, we will have that clip we're gonna listen through that and I'm gonna shred it because it is ridiculous um, it is literally the same game that sold for a hundred thousand dollars that we did the story on six months ago so the idea that somehow well you know what i don't i don't want to spoil it it's so good it's so juicy it's so so palpable i don't want to i don't want y'all to be spoiled with my early podcast rant so we'll just get into it but first we're going to do the the game awards then we're going to get into the mario brothers thing and then we're going to wish y'all a happy thanksgiving so uh with that being said we're going to hit the ground running, and uh, and here we go. So like I said, first up on the podcast today, we are talking about the Game Awards. First, we're going to talk about the Game Award nominees. We're going to go through the list of the categories that I feel are important, and then we're going to skip over some. <laughs> Just like the show, by the way. Uh, they don't show everything. And so we're going to go over the nominees, and, and I'll kind of give my take on, on the nominees and who probably should win and, and things like that, or who will win. I'll give my predictions. Um, and then after that, we're going to speak a little bit about the controversy surrounding one of the Game of the Year nominees being Death Stranding and Jeff Keeley being in that game and also being the host and producer of the Game Awards themselves. But first, let's just talk about the nominees. So first up, we're just, you know, we're not going to put this in order and make you watch through all the crap to get to the good stuff. Let's start with Game of the Year. It's top of the page, right? So the nominees for Game of the Year, we have Control by Remedy, which I've not played, but it is the next game I'm going to play after Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So I'm excited to play that. Hear great things from everybody. Death Stranding, which I have completed. Resident Evil 2, which I have completed. 
Sekiro, which I have completed, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which I don't play because I don't like Smash Brothers, and The Outer Worlds by Obsidian. So the five, the six, excuse me, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, and The Outer Worlds. So just looking at this list right away, two of these games are in my top five of the year so far, and that's Resident Evil 2 and Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, which leaning heavily towards Sekiro because the game was just fun to play. Um, and of course, it's a FromSoft game, but it was just fun. Um, Control, like I said, I don't really have much of a comment on. Death Stranding I finished, and and I feel it's too polarizing to be game of the year. Uh, it, it's just a game that... And I finally had this realization yesterday when I'm talking to a customer about it. The thing about Death Stranding is you have to experience it yourself. Normally, I could play a game and say, I know exactly who this game's going to be good for. It's my job. It's been my job for almost 20 years. Where I say, oh, this game may not be for person A, but it's for person B. Death Stranding, I can't pinpoint that. And maybe that's cool in a way, you know, that it's so unique I can't pinpoint it. But Death Stranding is a game you have to experience. It's a journey you have to take. And only you will know if you liked it or not. No one will be able to tell you if you're going to like that game or not. Because, yeah, you could you can listen to people talk about the gameplay and how maybe it's not that great or it's boring, monotonous. But something might grip you in that gameplay. The online features of building the world and, and, and recovering it and bringing it back to life. I don't know. So that, that's, that's what's interesting about that. Uh, Resident Evil 2, incredible remake. And this is, this is where it comes down to a lot of people give it a hard time, like saying, can a remake be a game of the year well we're going to be hearing that argument again next year with the final fantasy 7 remake can a remake be game of the year absolutely my game of the year last year was spider-man and that was a straight ripoff of batman arkham and i acknowledge that you know i mean it's all honest about it but resident evil 2 was just an incredible game it hit it hit all the right notes it did what that game did well and increased what it did well by more incredible game tons of free dlc for it just an excellent experience really love resident evil 2 it came out so early in the year though that you just kind of, it feels like a lifetime ago that it came out. And then we have, of course, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is probably my current running game of the year. I thought Death Stranding might take it down, depending on how it was when I finished that game. It didn't. Sekiro, the gameplay is so much fun in that game. And yes, it's very hard. It's a FromSoft game. The bosses are brutal, and the story is kind of not there unless you dig deeper into trying to find it. But all that stuff put together was just an excellent, excellent game. And the the controls and the combat, the parry system, the, it just works. And and it is it is just a fun game to play. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. You can't deny the popularity of this game. Um, it it is huge. It's one of the biggest fighting games around. Personally, I like Tekken as a fighting game. So for me, I'm not a fan of multiple fighting games usually. Uh, Super Smash Brothers and Tekken, very different style fighting games, and I just don't care to try to play Smash. And I've tried it. Every time a new one comes out, I try it. And I'm thinking, maybe this will be the one. And being a huge Metal Gear fan, obviously I want to play a Solid Snake. I just can't do it. It's just not fun for me, and that's okay. <clears throat> so, but will it, you know, but it's, it's not a bad game by any stretch. It's just a game I don't like. And then The Outer Worlds. I've only played a little bit of The Outer Worlds. It is essentially fallout new vegas in space but instead of having one huge open world that you go around you have planets that you essentially land on you have to do some things and then you can go to other planets so it's a more like it feels like a like a smaller game almost actually because every area you go to is technically smaller but it's got that feel and obsidian makes good games and there's nothing wrong with that so um what do i think will get game of the year i think it's gonna be 
I think it's going to be control. And, and, and I say that as someone who hasn't played the game, but you know, reading a lot of blogs, hitting a lot of websites, seeing what people's opinions are, everyone says something amazing about control. Death Stranding seems more hit or miss. Resident Evil 2 brings in the argument of, is a remake, should a remake be game of the year? Sekiro has the, it's too difficult for the average gamer, which I don't buy, I don't buy into that, but that's what a lot of the narrative around the game was. Super Smash is a Nintendo-only game, so that is a knock on it. Unfortunately, in the eyes of some people, not me, but in the eyes of some people, a Nintendo game only, and it's a fighter, not a lot of depth to like a story or anything. And then The Outer Worlds, I, I, I could see that doing well too. People liked that game overall, but I would say of the six, it seems like the weakest entry. So I'm going to say Control. Um, and I, I'm going to keep track of all these. And once the Game Awards come out, we'll do our podcast that week and we'll go over it. We'll see how we did. It's pro I feel like it's going to be Death Stranding. Like, that's what I want to say. But I think Control is going to take it just because it wasn't as polarizing as Death Stranding was. But anyway, moving on. So the action game category. Action game says for the best game in the action genre focused primarily on combat. So that has Apex Legends, which is a free to play battle royale. Astral Chain, which is a uh, Platinum Games game uh, on the Nintendo Switch. Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Devil May Cry 5, Gears 5, and Metro Exodus. So I don't know how this all works, but I'm pretty sure that, well, never mind. <laughs> I was going to say I don't think games can be Game of the Year and other categories, but I looked down to the next one and there's other ones. So anyway, um, so best action game. Uh, hmm. Well, Devil May Cry 5 I finished... That was fun. I did not play Gears or Metro or Modern Warfare or Astral Chain, but I've played Apex Legends. So best action game, I mean, the game that most people are playing right now is either going to be Apex Legends or Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I don't see how Call of Duty doesn't win in this one. It was essentially kind of a rebirth uh, this year, and people are really talking very highly about it. People obviously are complaining about the multiplayer, uh, but that's kind of every Call of Duty, so I won't say too much. Uh, Gears 5, again, not a bad game by any stretch. It just kind of came out, though. It kind of came out with a whisper, I guess. Metro uh, was a game I was highly anticipating for a long time. I haven't played the other ones, though, so I'm kind of waiting. And Astral Chain, Platinum makes great games, and I actually want to play Astral Chain. It's literally on my desk right here, like, waiting for me to have time to play it. Unfortunately, I'm going to Control after Star Wars, and then maybe I'll try to play it. Maybe I'll try to squeeze in there. Who knows? So I'm going to say Call of Duty Modern Warfare wins action game. So we've got uh, Apex Legends, Astral Chain, Modern Warfare, Devil May Cry 5, Gears 5, Metro Exodus. I'm saying Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So then this is the category. So action adventure game. For the best action adventure game combining combat with traversal and puzzle solving. So that's how they differentiate between action game where it's all action and action adventure games where it's action and traversal and puzzle solving. So... We have our games of the year, or excuse me, the game nominees are Borderlands 3, Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, so there's three of the games in the game of the year, Sekiro, there's the fourth one, so we're four, this is basically the same category as game of the year, except we threw in Link's Awakening instead of Smash Brothers, and Borderlands 3 instead of Outer Worlds. This is a tough one. I'm going to say Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening because at this point we haven't had a Nintendo game win. And so I think it's going to win, especially since the focus is on traversal and puzzle solving. Because when you look at all these games, Resident Evil 2 has puzzles. Death Stranding does not. Borderlands does not. Sekiro does not. I guess Control might have puzzles. I don't know. And Link's Awakening is 
half puzzles. So, uh, yeah, makes sense to me. So Link's Awakening is going to win action-adventure game. Uh, art direction. So this is for outstanding creative and or technical achievement in artistic design and animation. All right, buckle up. Here we go. Control, Death Stranding, <laughs> Gris, Sayonara Wild Hearts, Sekiro, and Zelda Link's Awakening. Um, well, I think Gris is going to win this one. Gris, 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 Gris. Uh, you know, Jordan will kill me because he played the game. I have not played it yet, but I love the look of it, and it is on my list of things I want to play. So art direction, uh, outstanding creative or technical achievement in artistic design and animation. I mean, Death Stranding could win that because it is a creative type game, especially if it's not going to win game of the year. It might win art direction because a Kojima game typically will get a lot of credit for that. Control won't win that. Um, Sekiro won't win that. Sayonara Wild Hearts, I don't even know what that is, but it could. And see, what, what's interesting here is we've got two indie games finally in here. So we haven't had an indie game win yet. Now, obviously, we're going to get to an indie category, I think, down there. But we haven't had an indie game win yet. So I'm going to say Gris. I, I, I actually don't know how to pronounce that. Is it Grizz? Like, Gris would be how you'd look at it, Grizz. But it might be Grease, Gris, Grizz, whatever it is. And I apologize if you love the game. Please, I do want to play it. I'm not bashing the game. Just uh, I'm a dum-dum and don't know what the name of the game is. <laughs> so we're going to say Grizz. Grease. Whatever it is. Uh, that's going to win the category for Art Direction. Audio design, recognizing the best in-game audio and sound design. Oh my goodness. Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, Gears 5, and Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, I'm going to say Gears... I, no, I'm going to say Call of Duty Modern Warfare on this one. Um, the... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Death Stranding has a great soundtrack, and it is used really well. But I don't, I don't know because... I'm going to say Modern Warfare on this one. Let's we'll say Modern Warfare again. So we got two awards for Modern Warfare. Community support. Recognize a game for outstanding community support, transparency, and responsiveness. And the options are Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy 14, Fortnite, and Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, this is definitely going to be Final Fantasy 14, I think, because that game has made such a huge turnaround over the years. It has such a huge player fan base. I'm going to say Final Fantasy 14. Uh, the next one, Content Creator of the Year, which I'll be honest... Uh, I don't think I could care any less about a category than I care about this one. For a streamer or a content creator who has made an important and positive impact on the industry in 2019, we've got Courage, Dr. Lupo, Ewok, Grefg, and Shroud. I, I'm going <laughs> to be honest here. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to go on a rant about how much I hate the, the Ewok. Uh, this guy, he's wearing his hat. I, I'm not going to go into it, okay? Maybe there's a reason why there's a, a negative depiction of gamer culture all the time, and, and people like this are feeding into it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, who's going to win? Uh, I don't care. It's going to be Shroud. Shroud's going to win. Michael Grzyk. He's going to win because he's really good at shooting games like PUBG. Okay. Uh, esports coach. We're going to skip that one. Esports event. Don't care. Um, not that I don't care about esports, just that I don't care about the event. Who cares about the event? Evo is probably going to win because that's a fighting game tournament. I don't know. I have no basis for that decision. Esports game of the year. Counter-Strike Go, Dota 2, Fortnite, League of Legends, or Overwatch. Uh I don't know. Let's let's say uh let's say Fortnite. I don't know. It's fans voting on it, so let's say Fortnite. Even though Fortnite I feel is dwindling. Esports hosts, sorry, I'm just gonna keep going. I don't I don't care. Esports player, uh yeah, I'm just gonna keep going. Esports team, eh, we're gonna keep going. 
Family games. So this is interesting. Uh, they're all Nintendo games somehow. For the best game appropriate for family play, irrespective of genre or platform. Well, interesting since all of them are for the Nintendo Switch, but okay. So you have Luigi's Mansion 3, Ring Fit Adventure, Mario Maker 2, Super Smash Ultimate, or Yoshi's Crafted World. Uh, family game, I'm probably... I mean, it says for family play. Eh, I mean, I don't think Ring Fit's multiplayer. Eh, that's a tough one. I mean, you could take your pick of any of these. We're going to say Luigi's Mansion. We're going to say Luigi's Mansion. Fighting game. For best game design primarily around head-to-head -head combat, Dead or Alive 6, Jump Force, Mortal Kombat 11, Samurai Showdown, or Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Uh, I think realistically it's between Mortal Kombat and Super Smash Bros., but I'm going to give the nod to Smash because I feel like that's just the one that more people play. But MK11 might win too because Mortal Kombat's that household name. Uh, the fresh indie game presented by Subway... It's <laughs> so obnoxious. Uh, recognizing a new independent studio that released its first game in 2019. So this is kind of neat because this is studio, not based on the game. So we've got uh, the creators of Disco Elysium, Zay Um, Nomada Studio for Grizz, Dead Toast Entertainment for my friend Pedro, Mobius Digital for Outer Wilds, Megacrit for Slay the Spire, and House House for the Untitled Goose Game. Now, up until I saw the last one, I would have said Mobius Digital for Outer Wilds, but Untitled Goose Game got a whole bunch of love and was an internet meme for for that short couple of weeks that I could see that winning as well, but I'm going to stick with Mobius Digital on Outer Wilds. I think that's where we're going to go. Um, game Direction. Now, this is always a category. Actually, Jordan, Jeremy, and I struggled with this last year on the Dropcast because we were we all had different understanding of what a game director was or game direction was. Here's what the category says. Awarded for outstanding creative vision and innovation in game direction and design. So we have the usual suspects. Control, Death Stranding, Resident Evil 2, Sekiro, and Outer Wilds. Not Outer Worlds, Outer Wilds. This is the exact same as the game of the year list, except it's Outer Wilds instead of Outer Worlds. Okay. Uh, this is the one I think Death Stranding is going to win. Uh, so Death Stranding is going to win Game Direction. I just makes sense to me. Games for Impact. For a thought-provoking game with a pro-social meaning or message. So the options are Life is Strange 2, Sea of Solitude, Kind Words, Grizz, and Concrete Genie. I'm going to say Life is Strange 2 uh, because that game also gets the most play, but uh, uh, thematically uh, very socially uh, progressive, I would say. Uh, independent games for outstanding creative and technical achievement in a game made outside the traditional publisher system. So we have Baba is You, Disco Elysium, Katana Zero, Outer Wilds, Untitled Goose Game. So, it, I mean, here I'm going to say it's whatever game didn't win in the other category between Outer Wilds and Untitled Goose Game. So let's say best indie game. I'm going to give it to Outer Wilds, even though up here I said Outer Wilds would win over fresh indie game. Um, so, you know what? Fresh indie game, I'm going to change it. We're going to say it's Untitled Goose Game, and then independent game is going to be Outer Wilds. So one can focus on the studio, one can focus on the game. Uh, best mobile game, Call of Duty Mobile, Grindstone, Sayonara, Wild Hearts, Sky, Children of Light, and What the Gulf. Uh, we're going to give it to Call of Duty Mobile. Multiplayer game, for outstanding online multiplayer gameplay and design, including co-op and massively multiplayer experiences, irrespective of game genre or platform. So best multiplayer game, Tetris 99, Tom Clancy Division 2, Apex Legends, Borderlands 3, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. 
Uh, I'm going to give this one to Modern Warfare also, even though I could see Tetris 99 taking it. Because Tetris 99 is incredible, <laughs> and, and it works so well. Uh, narrative. For outstanding storytelling and narrative development in a title, the options are A Plague Tale, Control, Death Stranding, Disco Elysium, and The Outer Worlds. You know, I could see Death Stranding getting this one too. It's going to at least get one of them. The last one I said or this one because it's going to, something with the story and narrative is going, that's where that game is strong and it's going to win. Um, the category for ongoing game, awarded to a game for outstanding development of ongoing content that evolves the player experience over time. We have Apex Legends, Destiny 2, Final Fantasy 14, Fortnite, and Rainbow Six Siege. I'm also going to say Final Fantasy 14 again. Well, you know, I might say Destiny 2 on this one. I might say Destiny 2 on ongoing game because that game, now that they're independent from Activision, um, they're in control of the game. They seem to be making the right decisions to make the game popular again. People seem to love it. So good for them. Uh, then they have uh, performance, awarded to an individual for voice over acting, motion, and or performance capture. So we have uh, Ashley Birch for The Outer Worlds, Courtney Hope for Control, Laura Bailey for Gears 5, Mads Mikkelsen for Death Stranding, Matthew Peretta in control or Norman Reedus in Death Stranding. I'm definitely giving this one to Mads Mikkelsen for Death Stranding. Um, I definitely think he's going to win that. Uh, we go on to role-playing game for the best game designed with rich player character customization and progression. <laughs> God. Okay. So the options are Disco Elysium, Final Fantasy 14, Kingdom Hearts 3, The Outer Worlds, and Monster Hunter World Iceborne. So Jordan and I have this argument all the time about is monster hunter an rpg um and i say it's not but he says it is and that's okay it's a different of opinion uh it rich player customization and progression so i guess i i can't disagree with it fitting into this category based off of that category's uh you know explanation description including uh so it's just a game designed with rich player character customization and progression monster hunter has that so you know typically i like to think role-playing games also have some sort of you know number-based tracking system level-based system which all of these games have except disco elysium and monster hunter iceborne monster hunter has a hunter rank but that doesn't change anything that'd be like saying that your your rank in call of duty makes it an rpg so uh, but again based on what they say is a role-playing game here it fits in this category so we, we move on from there uh score and music for outstanding music inclusive of score it's cadence of hyrule death stranding del mccry 5 kingdom hearts and sayonara wild hearts i think death stranding might win this one uh that's what i'm gonna say on this one death stranding best sports racing game for the best traditional and non-traditional sports and racing game uh crash team racing dirt 2.0 they just put racing and sports together. Okay. Uh, Evo Pro Football Soccer 2020, F1 2019, and FIFA 20. Madden didn't even make the list, y'all. Uh, I, I don't know. Crash Team Racing because that's the only game on this list. Well, I would play Dirt Rally 2.0, but Crash Team Racing will probably win. Uh, strategy game. I don't really care. Let's just move on. VR, AR game, and that's it. So Okay, so that's roughly it. Let's just pick them then because then I can see if I'm right. Strategy game, Age of Wonders, Anno 1800, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Total War, Tropico, and Wargroove. I'm going to go with Fire Emblem Three Houses. And then VR, AR game, Asgard's Wrath, Blood and Truth, Beat Saber, No Man's Sky, Trover Saves Universe. Beat Saber is going to win that by a mile. So that is it for the Video Game Awards, the nominees, 
and the categories. So like I said, we'll revisit this once the uh, once the awards are finished and we'll see how we did. That'll be fun. Now to go along with that story a little bit, secondly on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about the controversy surrounding the fact that Death Stranding has so many nominations, but the person who puts on the show, Jeff Keighley, the host and the producer, is actually in Death Stranding as a game. And so Kotaku did this article a few days ago, and it said, Death Stranding's nominations at the Game Awards can't help but raise questions. The article goes on to say, The Game Awards is the largest video game awards ceremony of the year, in large part because it's full of new game announcements, but the industry takes the awards seriously as well. This year, with Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding nominated for a number of awards, including Game of the Year, viewers are openly wondering whether or not that's related to the Game Awards producer Jeff Keighley's very public relationship with Kojima. Keighley says he doesn't nominate or vote on awards, but there are plenty of questions here. So that's the first thing that I want to talk about. And uh, I was actually, whoops, I forgot to, <laughs> I forgot to uh, leave this window open because they actually talk about this. They talk about, if the website feels like loading, uh, they talk about how they vote on things. So the voting jury. Nominations for the Game Awards are selected by a voting jury of 80 media and influencer outlets across the globe. So when you get to the FAQ, they talk about things like how are the nominees selected, how to use this jury to select the nominees, and so on and so forth. So this article, I have to say right away, the facts on how it's done seemingly are out there. I mean, if they're being honest about the process, which I don't see why they wouldn't be. Um, because it really doesn't matter who wins game of the year or who gets nominated as far as this show is concerned. Because one thing you have to understand about the game awards is it's, while it is an honor to get a game award, it is still an advertisement show. It's a show put on while to give notice to game developers. It's also a show to make money and to increase the popularity of Jeff Keighley and his brand. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of other award shows are the same thing, but if you really want to look at certain award shows, there's the Dice Awards, and there's a lot of other awards that focus more on indie games, things that would really are, are almost a better way of gauging how something is. In this game, or in, in this award ceremony, it's, it is one huge commercial. It's almost like a mini E3 announcement. They announce new games sometimes, which is so strange. They have celebrities on there, and they try to make this a whole big thing. And it's it, it feels like a little disingenuous to the gamer culture, but it's fine. I mean, it's, it's just, it is what it is. It's an award show meant to be super popular. So they cater to this kind of mass market appeal. So anyway, the article goes on to say death stranding released earlier this month to a split critical reception. This person says, I loved it in my review for Kotaku. I called it a fantastic mess. Meanwhile, IGN gave it a 6.8 out of 10. It's a divisive game with plenty of detractors among the broader gaming audience, but it's also a high budget game made by one of the world's most well-known directors which would typically prime it for award season. Sure enough, it has received nine nominations this year, including Game of the Year and Best Game Direction. These nominations, received so soon after release, have drawn some attention to the show producer Jeff Keighley has been a friend of Kojima's for years, talking about him on Twitter and bringing him on stage at various events, including previous iterations of the Game Awards. Keighley even appears as a non-player character in Death Stranding. So not only is Jeff Keighley in Death Stranding as a character, he has had a very... Uh, a very out in the open relationship with Hideo Kojima for years. They've been friends forever and that's fine. And that shouldn't automatically disqualify this game from the show. I want to say that outright, 
But it does make you wonder since the game just came out, the reviews came out just a week before that, and it was already, like, there's a part of me that says if the nomination's already out, when did the sheet go out? Like, did the sheet go out before the review embargo was lifted on Death Stranding? Because if the nominees are already announced last week, how long did people have to pick their games for their nominee wish list, and then how long did it take it to put everything together? It's kind of weird, you know? Like, it's it's a very short amount of time, which is often why during award shows, anything that comes out in, like, November or December typically is counted for the next year. So I'm surprised that they didn't just push Death Stranding off to next year to actually kind of, you know, have it have it work that way. And maybe they do have a cutoff date. Maybe it's the middle of November, and this happened in the first week of November. You know, I don't know. Um. But anyway, so I, I have to say, though, I don't necessarily think there's anything nefarious here. Uh, I think that anytime Hideo Kojima releases a game, it's going to get a certain level of notoriety and popularity. It's just um, it, he, he, he brings along with that a certain fan base that's willing to. And, and I do also agree that I think he puts out a certain caliber of game. And so he's always going to he's always going to draw that sort of attention so just because he's friends with the producer of the show i don't think that means he got in this game was gonna get nominated by people because it has been game of the year for many people um it wasn't for me and it isn't for a lot of people but it is a popular game so uh the article goes on to say death stranding's nominations at the 2019 game awards are hard to separate from the series of events as well as keely's ongoing relationship with kojima Kojima himself sits as a member of the show's advisory board, which also includes major industry figures such as Nintendo president Doug Bowser, Activision president Rob Kostich, and Microsoft EVP Phil Spencer. Keeley appears in Death Stranding via likeness as a Ludens fan. Ludens is the name of the astronaut mascot for Kojima Productions. Quote, I respect and appreciate the concerned, end quote, Jeff Keeley told Kotaku via email when asked about the appearance of conflict. This quote, this is why we have an FAQ right on the top of the website to make the process clear. It's why it's also why I don't vote on the nominees or winners. In my role as a show producer, I work closely with game publishers and developers on a number of levels. So I leave the judging to media outlets that provide a wide critical assessment. End quote. The Game Awards is structured as a mix between critics' choice and player and people's choice. Nominees are selected solely by the jury, which is comprised of 80 press outlets, including Eurogamer, IGN, and Polygon. Kotaku does not participate because the timing doesn't work for us. That's what they note in the article. <laughs> Once the nominees are revealed, the jury and viewers both vote on the award and the fan vote counting for 10%. So while the fans do have a say, it's only 10%. All the fans, which are the majority, only account for 10% of the award. So it is the jury, the people who pick the nominees, who ultimately get to pick who wins which is interesting. Um, <laughs> the role of the advisory board on which Kojima sits is less clear. While the board plays no part in the voting process or jury selection, it does help, quote, guide and advance the mission of the game awards, end quote, Keeley says. When asked about the board's specific duties, he said, quote, functionality, this typically includes a few in-person meetings every year to solicit general feedback on the show's direction. These are broad stroke discussions, end quote. In other words, Kojima's presence on the board and friendship with Jeff Keighley likely hasn't affected his game's nominations. That's handled by the jury itself. The appearance of impropriety remains, as so many other observers have pointed out. The Game Awards, like many other big awards show, is a quagmire of potential conflicts of interest. It is much a celebration of the year in games as it is an opportunity to bring in viewers by showing hot new trailers and revealing big new games. 
The show is peppered with commercials and exclusive reveals from the same company whose games are nominated for awards and whose members are on the Game Awards board. Of course, One Look at Hollywood reveals a similar situation, as anyone who's participated in the Oscars or Emmys might tell you. But there's a key difference here. The Oscars and Emmys aren't associated with a single person. The Game Awards has existed since 2014, and it's always been produced, hosted, and promoted by Jeff Keighley. His public relationship with Kojima ultimately affects how people might read into Death Stranding's nomination and any eventual wins. Um, so, uh, that's the article. I think it's fair to ask the question, but I also think it's fair to say I don't think there's any conflict of interest here. I think the game, any of Hideo Kojima's games would have made it on anyway. Uh and he, he's always going to be a figure that's going to draw that sort. Now, say in the future he releases a game which is just terrible. Overwhelmingly, people say, oh, Kojima's washed up. He's done. He's over. This game's terrible. And then it still makes it in the Game Awards. Eh, you could probably question that. But arguably, people really love this game. And, and while people are split, it has definitely become a game of the year for many, many different individuals. And I think it rightfully deserves to be a part of the show. All right. All right. <laughs> so now we got to get to the story here that's really going to piss me off. So let's see if I can not get upset. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean I, you know, I can hold it down. I can hold it down. Um, okay, so we're going to watch this video. And then I'm going to talk about it, pause it while we go. I have to resize a few things here. Because... Let's see. Oh, I think it's actually still good. All right. So oh, yeah, it's going. Oh, good, good. Whoops. Okay. Um, so I'm going to set this up. I got to put my headphones on so I can actually hear what's going on. We're going to set this up. We're going to start it and then we'll get to the last story. And then of course we're going to hit game of the week, pick up how the week, and then we're going to bounce. So, um, here we go. All right. Lastly on the podcast today, we're going to revisit a story that seemingly keeps popping up back in my timeline. As much as I want to forget it and not hear about it anymore, it's back. And it appeared even more mainstream by appearing on the TV show Pawn Stars. So uh, if you remember six or so months ago, I, I forget how long it's been already, feels like a lifetime, we did a story about a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers that sold for over $100,000. It sold for 100000 I think, and $150. It was one of these... Oh my goodness, deal-breaking, record-breaking, nothing's ever happened like this before. This amount of money's never been spent before. And then a few months later, I did a story about how one person spent a million dollars on a video game collection, including a bunch of sealed games. And so the one connected piece here was that all the games had been graded by the company WADA Games. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you've watched my videos for a while, you know I have a particular irritation with WADA Games. I don't want to say hatred because I don't I don't hate them. I'm just irritated by their business model. I had a, a chance to talk to them, actually, at Wizard World a, a year or so ago. Maybe it was two years ago now. And really had a very negative experience in them trying to explain to me why their games with the WADA packaging were infinitely worth more money Sometimes in the, in some cases, two times to three times as much money as one not graded by them, which, by the way, they were also selling at their own booth. So they took a game, graded it and marked up the price. Wasn't really a big fan of that. So as I'm hearing through the grapevine that there's an episode of Pawn Stars, which is going to it's going to show a really rare version of Super Mario Brothers. Well, of course, we had to talk about it. And of course, we had to watch it. So I have the clip up here. We're going to listen to it and we're going to talk about it. 
And uh, and here we go. So here's the clip from Pawn Stars. It's about five minutes. I'll be pausing it to talk about it as we go through. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. I have this to offer you. And this is? This is the earliest sticker-sealed Super Mario Brothers Nintendo game. That's pretty amazing. I know some of them go for a lot of money. Chum. What? Can you come over in here and help me for a moment? What's up, Rick? OK, um, the guy has a, I guess this is a really early one. The earliest print of still sealed a Super Mario Brothers in existence. Oh, wow. Mind if I take a look? Absolutely. Sure. Oh, this is the, yeah, this isn't the shrink wrapped version. This is the sticker stilled version, which I don't know too much about, but I, I know these are pretty rare. This one also happens to be an incredibly high grade. Even if the other ones are found, there's no way it's going to come close to this condition. So that's where I wanted to stop first. So listening to him talk, even if another one's found, there's no way it'll be in this condition. He has absolutely no way of knowing that. Absolutely no way of knowing that. And again, if you're trying to sell to a pawn shop, it's fine. Now, this is all this this encounter is all set up. Not in the way that it's fake necessarily, but like you don't just walk in and bring an item like this into the show. You set it up with producers and they have you bring it in and they have the experts ready, which, oh, get, you know, get ready. We're going to see that soon. And so they have all this kind of setup ready to go. Now, I do believe that this was staged from the seller's perspective in that he was never going to sell it. This was a way to advertise for WADA and in a way to advertise that he had this game in this condition. It was a way to get word out there. It's, it's all about promotion with these guys, and we'll learn more about that. But I wanted to just take a quick break there and say it's frustrating when he says there will never be another one like this, when you can absolutely not make that judgment. All right. How much do you want for it? It's a piece of history. It's something that's, that's hard for me to part with, but I would sell it for a million dollars. So, okay. <laughs> this guy. There's so much to like unpack there, right? But you know, it's a piece of history. I don't want to part with it. Oh, but I'd sell it for a million dollars. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, I don't want to part with my house. I love my house. I'd sell it for a million dollars. I mean, sure. Um, but here, you know, here's in. I, I'm not sure. I should probably just get through the whole video before we start talking about it. But he, he's asking for a million dollars. Okay. He's asking for a million dollars. A million dollars. Yep. All right. Chumley um, there just looking stupid. <laughs> it's a lot of money for a video game. I agree. It is a lot of money. I know there's video game collecting going on. I know I've seen some recent auctions where I was sort of shocked when, like, there's some video games sold for $29,000 just sure. the cartridges. But I didn't know the market exists for six-figure games, much less a million-dollar game. From all my research, WADA is the company that grades these. These are the ones you trust. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. You know, so from all my research, Rick says, WADA is the company that graded this. Well, it is on the box, Rick, Cap, you know, super detective of the year. But they're the experts. They're the ones who grade it, so they're the experts. So, man, how do you price out one of these things? Who do you call? Like, who would you reach out to? Like, if I'm looking around, I'm saying, man, oh, man. Who do we reach out to? So, I'm actually gonna go call them up and see. Oh, if so I you can call Wada? Guys down here. 
I would really like oh. to get their opinion. But you know, no offense. I mean, I just never heard of a video game going for a million dollars, and I just don't know if that exists which, or not. Which yeah. never – and that's a good point Rick makes right there. A video game never has sold for a million dollars. In fact, this very copy is the one that sold for $100,000 just a few months ago. But, hey, it's worth a million dollars to a pawn shop, which is supposed to resell it after that today. Hmm. I, I will be um, right back. Okay. I think Mario hit him on the head with a pipe wrench. Oh, I like that. Good good one, Rick. So he wants a million dollars for this thing, which I think is insane. Yeah, I remember it, and I know why he's asking astronomical money on this one. This is probably the most significant piece of video. So, sorry, I'm going to just back that up real quick. So this is Dennis Scott. He's the founder of Wada Games, okay? <laughs> We're going to get into all of this. But this is somebody basically talking who he started this company I don't I don't know exactly when, but it's only a few years old at most. Just as a reminder here. Most significant piece of video game history that's ever passed through our grading company. So that's what I'm kind of frustrated with. He talks about it's the most significant that's ever passed through our grading company. Okay, I'd be impressed by that if your company's been grading games for 40 years. You've been grading games for two years. You have no idea what's out there or what people might have in private collections. You know, the these there's this weird like mini cult of collectors out there who uh, are these high-end collectors that are constantly going back and forth with each other and they're cornering the market on certain items and then now they're the ones who have started companies like this and they're trying to tell you what's super expensive and rare which magically just happens to be what they have okay and he also said that this was the best condition yeah so what makes this special there's a lot of different indicators first you're going to see this sticker so it's not shrink wrapped it's from the test market launch of the NES, as far as we know, which was only in 1985 and 1986. And again, as far as they know, there isn't a record of this sort of thing. So it, they're going off of, of, of what we know is the history of this thing. And not to say that it's not rare, okay? This version of this game is very rare. But they're making so many, uh, they're going so far out of their way to make so many uh, assumptions about this, this piece of merchandise. No one even knew who Nintendo was. But back then, they were just another company. Once they started mass producing these and sending them across the country, they had to have something that would last on the shelves longer, which is also why seeing this in this condition is just, it's, it's a complete anomaly. This is the second print, and it's the earliest known. There's no other second prints or even first prints known that are still sealed. So we don't know the exact number of copies that were printed in the first test market launch, but we're estimating it's somewhere around the 10,000 print run. And how many of those survive sealed? One, as far as we know. One, as far as they know, because they've only ever seen one come through. Again, they act like they've been in company for 40 years and have seen it all, and this is an anomaly. Of, well, I'm, I, I've had a game store for eight and a half years, and I still have games come in that I've seen for the first time. So... Just, just a thought. So if this went into an auction today, your estimate would be? It's really hard to tell. It hasn't sold on the open market as video games are starting to be viewed more as art and history. So really quickly, I know I keep interrupting this. It hasn't been sold on the open market, which is true. It was sold at heritage auctions with one bid at $100,000 purchased by someone from, from heritage auctions. Not just these relics of nostalgia. This is it. This is the one that started it all. It's got the trifecta. It's got rarity, 
It's got popularity, everyone knows Mario, and it's got significance to collectors. Um, but, you know, with, with, with things like this, it's, it's high risk, high reward. I know of firm offers that have been turned down at $300,000. It goes up from there, there's no ceiling, really. There's no ceiling. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry. Does, has this person from WADA ever sold anything, or does he know how anything in the market works? They've had firm offers from $300,000, and it goes up from there? No, it would go down from there. Because if it went up from there, you would say what the higher offer was. If it went to $500,000, you'd say we had an offer at $500,000. So it doesn't go up from there. It there's The ceiling is the highest offer you have, which you just told us was $300,000. What, what do you mean there's no ceiling? Okay, I learned a lot today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime. Good luck. Thank you. At first, I thought you were crazy. Uh, <laughs> I'm literally a little bit shocked and a little bit speechless, but realistically, what do you want for it? I'm, I'm asking a million dollars. There's a big business in these right here, and I just have uh, been looking into maybe getting into it a little bit, but I'm not going to get into it with this kind of figures to start with. I understand. Okay. I understand. Um, so um, have a great day. I learned a lot, and um, obviously I have a lot of research to do. <laughs> well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's good right, to meet you. Man. Thank you. I'm okay that no offer was made. I'm happy to keep the game, and uh, it's a piece of history, so I'm happy to have it, Mike Large. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, okay. Uh, where to begin? Where do we begin? Where do we begin? Well, here's where we begin. On the story that I talked about in February. So I guess it was longer than six months. We're actually looking closer to eight months away. Eight months ago. Why is this copy of Super Mario Brothers worth $100,000? We asked a buyer. <laughs> so this article's talking about... Uh, oh, look. So um, they, they talked to Dennis Kahn, CEO and co-founder of game grading service Wada Games, which evaluated this specimen. Wait, the same guy who was just on Pawn Stars promoting his business and, and acting like the only known expert. So the only person who knows anything about this game, who's ever been asked about this game, is that person. Okay. <laughs> Which evaluated the specimen, estimated that only 2,000 to 10,000 copies were ever made. Well, that's not what he said on the show. He said it estimated at 10,000, not two to 10,000, but okay. Uh <laughs> Khan estimates only a few dozen exist across the whole test market line but finding an unopened test market Super Mario Brothers is so rare that Khan told Ars Technica that it's quote the only known copy of arguably the most important game in Nintendo history it's rumored that there is one more out there but it's just hearsay I haven't seen proof of it end quote again this is somebody who hasn't been in business for very long saying that because they haven't seen it, then it must not exist. Like that's incredibly frustrating to me. There's so many private collectors out there who don't care about bragging about what they have. Uh, not only that, but Wada games, chief grader, Kenneth thrower said in a statement that this box is in a quote, supreme state of preservation, which exhibits significant wear, uh, which usually exhibits significant wear after more than 30 years. Wada games gave the unopened box a 9.4 rating in its 10 point rating scale and gave the sticker seal its highest rating of a plus plus. This game may be the condition census of all sticker sealed NES games known to exist. So, um, coming out of the woodwork, Khan said he first heard this one of a kind sealed test market super Mario brothers about six years ago through direct contact with the person who eventually sold it. 
While Khan said that the seller wished to keep his identity private, he's one of the largest collectors of sealed video games and is well known in the tight-knit community of top-level game collectors. So let's back that up for a second. Let's, let's read that first line again. He first learned about it about six years ago through direct contact with the person who eventually sold it. Wada Games is the one company now that grades games for the company Heritage Auctions. Heritage Auctions is the one that sold this game. And one of the people that bought the game of the three people that came together to buy it, which might be the guy who was on Pawn Stars, I couldn't figure out who that was, is one of the founders of Heritage Auctions. <laughs> it's this it's this weird, like creepy relationship that they all have together. And it's this whole, in, it's almost like insider trading, I would almost say. Like there's these people that completely are trying to corner this market and tell you what's rare. And not even just that, every time they do something like this, that guy was never going to sell that game. They knew Rick wasn't going to pay a million dollars for it. But they went there to promote WADA and to promote Heritage Auctions and to promote that relationship they have together. So now when you look at that and you see a million people or however many people watch Pawn Stars, I don't know, look at that and say, oh man, if I see WADA graded, that means it's good and it's rare. And that's the whole cycle that they're perpetuating, right? And then as games become more expensive, as people buy them, then games become more rare and more expensive based on this completely artificial inflation. So, <laughs> so now, so I just find that really frustrating to me that, that again, there's this weird relationship. Like the only person ever asked about how rare this game is, is the one person who makes money off this game being rare. <laughs> Come on. We got to like, you know, and I talked to a friend of mine who owns a comic book shop. Comic book rating has been going on for a very long time. And I told him this story and I was like, can you believe this, man? This is wild. And he just goes, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing in comic book grading. You just learn to deal with it. And I was and I said to myself, OK, OK. So it's not like I'm trying to stop it from happening. I just don't want people to see this and think that WADA is the end all be all of graded video games. In fact, grading video games arguably is a strange practice anyway, but I'm not going to give someone a hard time. If you have a mint sealed copy of a game and you want to get it graded because it increases the value, that makes sense to me. Do it. As a game store owner, I have a few sealed games. I'm thinking about getting graded because it increases their value. That has nothing to do with me not liking WADA. What, what I don't like about WADA isn't necessarily that they grade video games. I don't like how they're uh, pushing this narrative about what's rare. They're telling people what the price should be on these rare items, and they act like they're the authority when it comes to value. Um, that was part of the argument I had with them when I was at Wizard World in Chicago and I saw them and I was talking to them and, and I was trying to ask like, hey, you have some very good condition boxed NES games, not sealed by the way, just used, but in good condition. Games that were going for 150 to 200, they had for three to 350. And I asked them, I said, you know, I can get this in pretty good condition on eBay in this exact condition for $150 less. Why should I buy it from you? And they were like, but that's, and the guy was trying to convince me, but that eBay is not the end all be all of value. eBay is not the, this price changer. There's so many other factors that go into it. And I thought while value can be considered different by different people, what something is worth is whatever someone's willing to pay for it. So his game could be worth that much if the person they're selling it to values the grading from WADA. But eBay is an auction site. And if you have 30 people fighting over it and it ends at $150, that's what that game is worth to most people because nobody was willing to go higher than that. 
and one person was. And so that's what I think is so frustrating about the not eBay argument. And I don't say eBay isn't the end-all be-all because there's a lot of buy-it-nows. There's undervalued stuff. There's overvalued stuff. There's balloon stuff. Of course there is. Like eBay's not perfect. But if I look at an auction for a rare game in mint condition and it bids out with 100 bids at $1,000, that game's worth 1000 bucks. That's it. That's 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 it. Stamp that. And that's how it goes. But then they grade it. They put it at 1500 and say, but no, no, it's just there's so much more to it than that. No. So anyway, I'm sorry. Let's go on because this article is not over yet. Once WADA Games grading process was complete, word quickly spread among the community that the game might be available for purchase for the right price. The owner said he would not listen to an offer that was less than $100,000, said Jim Halperin, owner of Heritage Auction, and one of the three buyers who ended up purchasing a share in the game. If I had to guess, that guy on Pawn Stars looked like his name was Jim Halperin, <laughs> so it was probably him. So we all talked about and decided to buy it together. The extra $150 covered the seller's expenses. Uh, while Hepburn sits on the advisory board for WADA games, Khan stressed that he had no knowledge or involvement in the grading process. So even they recognize it's a conflict of interest. So they came out and made a statement saying just cause he's a part of heritage. He didn't, uh, he's on. So, and, and, sorry, I got wrapped up. I got tongue twisted in my own stuff. The guy from heritage auctions sits on the advisory board of WADA games. WADA Games is the exclusive grading company for Heritage Auctions. The expert on who to tell things what it's worth is WADA Games. <laughs> like, does anybody, is anybody want some external, anybody, any external process here? You know, this is just a really, really odd relationship. Um, the six-figure sales price is easily a record in the video game world. A shrink-wrapped, sealed, post-test market copy of Super Mario Bros. just sold for $30,000 last year. Sealed copies of ultra-rare stadium events have sold for at least $35,000. Uh, a World Nintendo Championship cartridge, a Nintendo World Championship cartridge attracted $98,000 bid in 2014, but that appear that appears to be fake, and the sale never happened at that price. Halpern was also brought into the record-setting deal by Rich Lecce, who until 2010 had the Guinness World Record for the largest video game collection. Zach Gige, a collector and owner of Just Press Play Video Games, also took part in the sale. So those are your three people. Just press play. Zach, get Zach Zeej, uh, Zeej, Rich Lecce, Jim Halperin. At Rich's request, the partners invited me in after the price was set, Halperin told ours. My now partners simply decided that we could all go in together and keep it in strong hands. What the hell does that mean, keep it in strong hands? That was an opportunity to diversify the risk, have fun, and use the publicity to help educate others about the hobby. Yeah, and the companies that you make money off of. Halpern says he's not sure precisely which of the three owners will hold on to the game going forward. For now, it'll be stored in our vaults at Heritage Auctions whenever we aren't displaying at conventions and other events. He said, of course, we all want to share with the collecting community as often as humanly possible. And then, this is interesting. So, eight months ago, this article came out, and here's the next part of the article. While the six-figure game sale is a new high watermark for the collecting community, it may not remain so for long. Quote, when a game, when a new collecting genre is launched and a piece comes on the market for the first time, that is the absolute best price you're going to pay for that item because word will get out and demand will spike across the world, Heritage Auctions PR director Eric Bradley told Ars Technica. When a story like this gets out, everybody turns to their collection and goes, okay, is my copy of Super Mario Bros. 3 still sealed? Or did I buy an extra copy? They start to look at the quality and floodgates start to open. I would not be surprised if we saw more games in the next five years getting into five or six-figure prices. 
Khan likened the sealed Super Mario Brothers to Action Comics number one, the premiere of Superman that has become the holy grail for comic book collectors. Uh, <laughs> I think this particular Super Mario Brothers could go higher depending on the demand, Bradley said. I don't know if it would go higher immediately. The game is iconic, so it wouldn't be surprised if they hold on to it for a while when the market matures a little bit and it comes up for auction. We've been seeing the video game market growing and reaching the level of a more mature hobby, Khan said. It's only natural that people who grew up with this stuff are getting disposable income and they want to collect what they grew up with. There's this transition that happened with comics and now with games. They aren't just seen as items of nostalgia, but being appreciated for their art and cultural value. That's what's causing the paradigm shift. If video games are going the way of comics and coins, there will one day be a million dollar video game sale. And I think this that game is going to happen. Call that foreshadowing, folks. Maybe one day there'll be a million dollar sale. Hey, Pawn Stars, what did, what did it sell for? What did he ask for it? Oh, he asked for a million bucks. I'm exhausted with it. I'm done with this. I absolutely frustrated immensely by this. And again, don't care if you like graded games. I don't care that they grade games. I don't care what graded games do to the quote unquote uh, economy of game collecting. I don't care about any of that stuff because there is value in things. And I don't care what sets that value as long as it's the genuine market setting the value even if it's a bubble that's going to burst i'd rather the market set that value here's what i don't like i don't like one company grading the games giving it to an auction company them using every opportunity they can to get on the news to get on tv to get in all these articles to push their brand and then they are telling people what the market's worth and that's what it frustrates me about this whole thing so if you ever come to my store and you ever see i've got a graded game for sale I don't have a problem with graded games. I've never have. My issue has always been with these few people controlling the market, and it just happens to be on items that they own. How come they're not coming up with someone else's who hasn't sold something to them and talking about how rare that game is if it's, you know, quote-unquote for the community? Because they don't own it. They're only talking about the rare items they have so they can make the most money. Because you know if he, offer, if he gets offered a million dollars for this, they'll all they'll take that they'll sell it they'll each who invested 30,000 will take their 300,000 out and call that a good investment and that game will never be worth more than if it sells at that amount never because who else is going to buy it the people that bought it to resell it bought it the guy who was willing to spend a million dollars on it guy or gal spends a million dollars on it there's not another person who missed it out by a hundred thousand dollars and then will say oh if it ever goes up for sale for two million i'll buy it it's just not going to happen that's an artificial inflation of the market and that's what bothers me about all of this. <sighs> okay. God. <laughs> ah! I hate it. I so, I so hate it. Can't even tell you how much I hate it. Well, yes, I can. I just did. Um, okay. So we got to get to our pickup pile of the week, which is vast this week. I have my game of the week. And then we're going to go and we're going to have a happy Thanksgiving. So first up, game of the week. We have, we're sticking with PS1, remember. Command and Conquer for the PS1. So this is a game that's been on PC forever. There's nothing new here. There's nothing special here. But I have great memories of playing this. One thing I love is that this is a two-disc game for PS1. There's a Nod disc and a GDI disc. Those are the two factions in the game that you choose to play as the good guys or the bad guys. And it was Link Cable compatible. So what you could do with this game is you could... Put one disc in a PS1, put the other disc in a different PS1, link them together and play against each other. And I should say, I'm pretty sure the first one had it. I know the second one did. Maybe the first one wasn't linkable. 
but the second one was like red alert was and we used to play that all the time had so much fun with this game and so this is one of those early rts games that really left a, a big impact on me I'm not much of an rts guy anymore sadly but command and conquer for the ps1 if you like real-time strategy it's good uh and it's it's command and conquer man what, what more is there to say all right and then my pickup pile of the week is is nasty y'all it is full of stuff <laughs> it is just full uh, it is, let me, eh, let me rearrange my piles a little bit here. Eh. All right. So let me take a sip of water too. Okay. So first up we have some PS1 games. And now, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, Dave and I actually went game hunting on Thursday last week so we went to sheboygan and mantuak which isn't much of a run it's a quick run you go down there there's like three stores in sheboygan to check out and one in mantuak and no big deal it was just like i was sitting around on thursday playing jedi fallen order dave was off and we were both looking at a long weekend we're like well let's just let's just let's just. dave's like hey you want to go to freak toys and check out some turtles figures i'm like eh, not really I'm like well i could go on a game run so we did uh and so freak toys in sheboygan is definitely worth checking out if you like action figures and video games it's, it's a pretty cool place definitely check it out um i picked up not there technically i picked up somewhere else but for ps1 games i picked up a copy of juggernaut this is uh very similar to the game d or mist if you ever played that where you kind of walk around it's more of a story driven narrative game all full motion video uh cg rendered <laughs> it is awful looking um but super creepy and really fun and d is one of my favorite games so this is just kind of in that same vein as that I picked up a copy of Crow City of Angels. Now, this game is straight ass, okay? It's not good. It's not fun, but it's the Crow, and it's a rare PS1 game, and I love the Crow, and I love PS1 games, so you get it. You buy games that suck sometimes for the collection. It happens. Um, there were some Black Friday deals starting early, so I picked up a few. Uh, I got Super Monkey Ball, Catherine Full Body, and Indivisible, all for PS4 on discount. I'm pretty happy about that. Um, I got my copy of Shenmue 3 from Kickstarter. That was pretty good. Uh, and then I picked up Titan Quest and Killer Queen Black, both for the Switch, both on sale. Uh, Titan Quest I probably didn't need on the Switch, but I used to play it on PC way back in the day. I have it on PS4 as well, but it's just fun. It's a Diablo-type game, uh, except set in Greek mythology. So pretty cool. Um, then we had a couple Genesis games. I got a copy of Mercs, which is a really good Genesis game and actually has the booklet and everything somehow. The booklet's kind of crunchy, but I'll look to replace that later someday. Uh, but it's like a three-player arcade game, kind of like Commando, except it can be three players. So it's like a shmup almost, but you move around yourself. Then I picked up, I've been waiting for this a copy of this game for a while, but I picked up a copy of Dune. Not Doom, not D-O-O-M, but D-U-N-E, based off of the book slash movie. And this is another RTS, um, but really good. No booklet, but I got it severely undervalued. So um, very happy about that. And then lastly, I picked up two PS2 RPGs. I got Legaia 2 for PS2 and Monster Rancher 4 for PS2. So Monster Rancher 4 has been on my list for a while. It's been hard to get one in, and this one was in very good shape with the manual and everything. So that is it, everybody. Thank you so much, as always, for listening or watching. Thanks for sticking around and paying attention. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. I post funny pictures, memes, talk about football, and talk about video games, of course. And sometimes I share pictures of video games that look like they were, like someone took a dump on them, and then I clean them. And then they look really good afterwards. So sometimes you get to see some great before and afters. Uh, 
And, uh, and yeah, and so, and I share some, some funny stuff and we talk obviously about my YouTube videos and stuff there. Uh, but, uh, you can also, of course, subscribe to us on YouTube. We broke 6,000 a few weeks ago. Very, very happy moment for me as we just keep grinding away at the YouTube, you know, and just, you know, we're getting about 150 subs a month, which, uh, you know, if you, if you balance that out, that's just roughly about a thousand a year. So it's a little slower than we want. I'd love to see, I'd love to get to 10,000 by the end of this year, like of next year, I should say that would be my goal. But it's hard, you know, it's a grind and you just slowly build an audience and you just got to keep building and building and, and you got to find your audience and then you got to, you got to make content for them. <clears throat> so you can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash drop rate. You can follow us on Twitch and you can subscribe on Twitch if you want to, if you have a free Amazon prime sub, you can sub on Twitch, twitch.tv slash the drop rate. And like I said, I'm on Twitter at game trade, Greg. And if you're ever in town, the store is Game Trade into Pier. So thank you very much, everybody, for always listening and watching. I so appreciate it. Everyone have a happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully you get some time with the family. Have some fun. Shop this weekend. Shop local if you can on Small Business Saturday. Um, even the small stores have sales on Friday, though, too. So come out on those days, too, and, and show your love for the small business. Or, you know what? Stay home and enjoy some time with your family. Whatever makes you happy, do it. Thank you very much. Love you all. Have a great day. Have a happy Thanksgiving. 